0: As a young girl, living with parents that were really poor, you know, even how to get, you know, if you're going to be fed or not, you can't really control it because it's depending if your parents can afford the meal. Uh, I could have loved to go to maybe better schools, but it's what your parents can afford. Like, at a young age, which made me a little bit mature, I learned not to really focus on those things. What I knew I could focus on them is if they sent me to school, I can really study how to get a good grade. Those are the things I can control. I could decide that I want to look for like minded people that I can hang out with. Those are the things I can control. So I really focused on them. But trying to blame it on my parents or blame it on the government, I literally have no control about the parents I was given. You don't choose your parents. You just find out that they are your parents, you know. Or your government. I didn't have a chance to choose my parents or to choose my government or to choose the location which I would grow up. You know, I was born into that family and that's where we are.
1: Welcome to the Happy You're Here podcast. In this show, we talk about tools, techniques, and ideas to help us live more fulfilling lives. In this episode, we have Jane Igerton Edehen. We literally just talked about how to pronounce that, and I feel like I still just butchered it. But uh, she is a very successful woman, uh, currently in Nigeria. Is that correct? Yes, I am. And you recently, this year, wrote a book called Be Fearless, and we're going to talk about that. And you also do a lot with women's empowerment, helping women get into the STEM field specifically and how they they can achieve more and have success in in that field and in their careers in general, which I think is is huge because no matter what country you're in, there's a huge disproportionate uh, favoring towards men in those fields specifically. And I think it's important to have – everyone agrees that it's important to have a diversity – Uh, of cultures and gender and all of those things in field so that we can have all of those ideas to the table and all those sensibilities at the table. So thank you for coming on the show. And why don't you introduce yourself uh, in your own words to the audience?
0: Thank you so much, Craig. But you did a good job. I know the name isn't so easy. (laughs) It's Jane Agatine Deha. And just like you said, I live in Africa. So I live in Lagos, Nigeria, West Africa. I've been in the tech sector for almost two decades, quite a long time, isn't it, being a woman? And I have grown my career in the tech sector for that amount of time. I think that, that experience of being in the tech sector led me to being passionate about having more women in tech, you know, young girls being attracted to grow their careers in tech. I'm passionate about life, so I do all kinds of crazy things from dancing salsa to playing golf or playing squash. I have two kids and my daughter and my son. They both challenge me actually. They both make me to want to be a better parent and I'm married.
1: That's wonderful.
0: That's a, a quick summary of uh, of Jane.
1: <laughs> Great. I have a question that I've been asking everyone when they get on the show. I just started doing this and I love it because it kind of gets us right into some practical things that, that the audience can uh, latch onto, and then we can go further into your experience and brought you to these things. But as someone who is clearly succeeding in many ways, and I would say probably feels like you're living a pretty fulfilling life, is there a piece of a, a tool or a technique or an idea that has really helped you uh, propel yourself to that, that, that level of, of having a fulfilling life and living actively a fulfilling life? Is there something that is core to that or maybe even just one of many things that is core to, to living a fulfilling life?
0: So one of the things I didn't mention when I introduced myself was that, um, I spent the first 27 years of my, my life, even in the lowest slums, one of the lowest slums in Lagos, Nigeria. So I am very much from, you know, like a very underprivileged background where just to get a square meal is, was very difficult. Mm-hmm. So what I learned, because it's so relevant, even what we're going through, you know, think about the pandemic, is in life, sometimes you're dealt with cards that are not favorable, uh, or you're in a situation where you can't really control the environment or a lot of outcomes. But what I've really learned is that what has made most people successful, and I believe one of the key things that made me successful or emerge from that situation is the ability to focus on the things you can control and give them your best and try to, you know, reduce the focus on things you have no control. Now, people say it in all kinds of ways. You know, Stephen Covey, who says in Cycle of Control, you know, there are all kinds of uh, frameworks people use. But in summary, what I've realized, there are always things you can control. Just put your energy there you would always have situations where there are a lot of things you can't control. And those are the things that give us the anxiety. They take our focus from the ones we can really control. So as a young girl living with parents that were really poor, you know, even how to get, you know, if you're going to be fed or not, you can't really control it because it's depending if your parents can afford the meal. Uh, I could have loved to go to maybe better schools, but it's what your parents can afford. I could have loved to dress better. Now, at a young age, which made me a little bit mature, I learned not to really focus on those things. What I knew I could focus on them is if they sent me to school, I can really study hard to get a good grade. Those are the things I can control. I could decide that I want to look for like-minded people that I can hang out with. Those are the things I can control. So I really focused on them. But trying to blame it on my parents or blame it on the government, I literally have no control about the parents I was, you know, held, you know, I was given. You don't choose your parents. You just find out that they are your parents. You know? Or your government. I didn't have a chance to choose my parents or to choose my government or to choose the location which I would yeah. grow. up. You know, I was born into that family, and that's where we are. So I, I use that framework a lot, even now as an adult, you know, even now that you know, people say you're successful. There will still be situations where you have a lot of options, and you really have to decide to focus on the ones you can control. And start to work on those ones, and try to worry, you know, less about the things you can control. Because I have realized also, as you tend to grow, evolve, be bigger, be successful, you say, tend to have a larger circle of control, or mm-hmm. things you, you can influence. Sorry, the things you can influence. So earlier on, I couldn't influence a lot of things because I couldn't afford a lot of things. Now there's some things so easy for me. You just have to tell me. This and this and this is, I can use my access and get them. I can use my acquired wealth and get them, you know. So I, I can do more. I can help more people. Initially, right. I couldn't help a lot of people that I, I really felt passionate about. But now I can. So yes, that's that's a quick way of saying that.
1: That is so great. I, I like that you mentioned that your your sphere of influence expands too. I think it can be very defeating sometimes to look around and say, you know, if you're in a situation, any situation really where you feel like you know, you don't have as control over as much as you'd like to in your life. And you look around and, you know, well, it might seem kind of defeating to say, well, I can only control this one thing. I can only control how I perform or how I put effort into uh, in school, for example. Right. Yeah. But if you do that and you actually show up and put your energy there, wherever you can control, as I've seen this in so many different, you know, stories from people all over the world that we talked to on the show and it's funny because you say that and it's like everybody always kind of gets around to that idea in one way or another. Like you said, there's a million different ways people conceptualize that. But And that was a big thing for me too when I was coming out of addiction. It was like, what are the things that I can control? I can't get rid of my debt with the snap of a finger. I can't fix all the relationships. I can't even you know, control the way that someone is going to react to an apology. All I can do is very make true apology and, and actually sincerely mean it and try to change on my side. But as you do that and as you show up and show up and show up for the things you can control and try to not spend your energy on things you can't, then the things you can control start to expand. Yeah.
0: That circle grows. It gets bigger and bigger. It's just the reason, I don't know what to call it, the principle, but it's something that is, you can literally apply it anywhere. You know, I used to have a huge, okay, there's a time in my workplace. One of the ways I applied, I was really having a huge challenge I had one of those horrible bosses, you know. (laughs) And I spent a lot of time literally complaining about my boss, wishing I got a better boss. And I thought other people got a better boss. And I think, you know, I think it was a mentor friend of mine that reminded me, okay, you can't control your boss right now because you either have to leave the company or, you know, look for another job. But what you could control is how you react to the boss. It was tough initially because, you know, most times you're like holding yourself in terms of, you know, how you want to react. But I learned to manage my emotions and choose how I react, even when I'm giving negative feedback or when I felt I wasn't treated right by my boss. And what I noticed is that as I did that, I became, you can say the bigger person, but became more confident in managing that relationship. And you know the funny thing is at the end, that boss of mine was one of the key people that helped me when I was being um, hunted for a bigger job, it was one of the people that get a give a good reference and say she's very good. I respect her. I was shocked. Yeah, <laughs> I was really shocked. So <laughs> it does.
1: Sometimes those difficult people, especially, can be if you can learn to relate to them in in a, in a way that is not reactive. They don't have a lot of, especially if they're just a difficult person. They do not have a lot of people that relate to them in that way. They don't have a, a lot of people exactly. that will stand up to them when it's appropriate. Uh, you know, and, and so then they end up, I've experienced that with like instructors when I was in back in college, like that were, you know, just the tough instructors that everyone just complained about. And I was like, well, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to try harder because this person requires, you know, a higher standard. So, and those people always end, you end up earning their respect and they're people that, a, a recommendation from someone like that means a lot more because they don't just like give those out to everybody.
0: They don't give that out easily. So people really take it seriously when it's coming from them. They'll be like, I don't know what you did, but you really spoke highly <laughs> of you.
1: That's awesome. That's So the, the title of your book is, is Be Fearless. Um, and I read the, yes. little, the description of it and stuff. And, and a lot of it I'm sure is, and I haven't read it yet, yet. Uh, I did bookmark it to, to, to download it, uh, but a lot of it seems autobiographical, but also kind of helping serve as kind of guideposts to help, especially young women.
0: And young men, too.
1: Yeah. well, <laughs> I think that's the thing. You know, a lot of people hear someone, I help women do this, or I might say I help men do this. And it's like, it's not to exclude men, or but it's like, you know, specifically in your experiences and... I think this would be true for a lot of women it's there isn't the that person as often speaking directly to you there's plenty of people that speak to people like me you know and it someone speaking to someone that's not you know doesn't check all the same boxes that i check does not mean that they're not i can't use that advice or i can't you know relate to that person it's just they're helping a different set of people that, that need that help too.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it just gives you a better understanding of the other person, you know? Because for me, most men that have read it, you know, they come to tell me things like, oh, now I understand, thinking about my daughter, you know, this is how yeah. what I would want to here. This is a discussion I had with my daughter when I read your book. Because they tend to put themselves in the other person's shoes and they start to figure out, wow, I was never aware of this.
1: Yeah, and we all have, we all have women in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> we all have men in our lives yeah. we all have people that are different you know a different gender a different race different nationality a different you know uh, sexual preference like there's all kinds of things that we seem to build divides on and yeah. it, it's true that you know having coming from a different country or a different culture even within the same country there's different cultures within the same country whether it's the place you're from or the way you look at your gender true. those things do affect the way that you interact with the world around you. So it is important to have people that look like you and experience the world like you that can say, Hey, you can do this too.
0: You're right. Because when you, when, when you have that, it's, it's almost like, um, cause that's one of the things I missed growing up. You know, you want to see that representation that challenges you to, to tell yourself, Oh, I want to be like her. Oh, I want to do like I want to even be more than her, you know, something yeah. you could aspire to. And I really wanted to tell that story because, um, Most times the stories are told but not from our perspective and I wanted to tell it from the voice of an African woman living in Africa but yet growing a career and I wanted people to be able to relate with it and initially when I wrote the book I was just because like you said a lot of things are my personal experience and I was sharing a lot of that being a woman in this tech sector for about two decades and I initially wrote the book hoping, oh, it would be good for young women, and I was shocked. A lot of men are reading it. I wrote the book thinking, oh, it would be relevant to my region, like West Africa. But now I have thanks to podcast, When they read that book, they can relate to something in it. Because even though we are diverse, in so many ways we are similar. In so many ways we are going through a challenge that once we can see people that have passed through challenges and managed it, we we tend to look for them for tools or resources or techniques we can apply to our own selves and be better. So I've been so I think one of the things, one of the biggest things I've been proud about, I've been proud of is the feedback I've gotten from the book. When I read the comments and the emails and the DMs, those ones are priceless. To see that I'm really impacting people. That is really priceless
1: yeah absolutely i think you made a really good point there that even though you know we're we're like worlds apart here you know me and you and we still immediately connected on some of these like same ideas and i feel like that has been my experience and i think the internet has been amazing in allowing us to do that uh, across borders like I just I interviewed someone from Israel this morning, then someone from the Netherlands, and then oh, now cute. and so it's like and I've traveled and met people, one of my best friends is from Egypt. Like it's it's incredible, like that we all over the globe are dealing with a lot of the same and when you boil it way down, you get rid of like the specifics of it sometimes, like we're we're still struggling with the same like, you know, fear and stress, anxieties depression um, anger how do we how do we deal with these emotions they're all human emotions and that's so that takes up such a big part of all of our lives and then all of the specifics kind of come out of, of, of how we choose to deal with that uh, based on our culture or and uh, and what's cool about the internet is it started to blend a lot of these and the best ideas
0: all bring in experience
1: yeah absolutely so tell me about the um, your organization that is the for women in in tech
0: women and career women in career yeah yeah tell me about that yes okay so women in career is an organization i i started but it wasn't really deliberate so i'll tell you the story how i started it and that's why the name sounds so techy you know women and career doesn't it sound techy Mm mm-hmm I was literally at the phase where I was mentoring a lot of people, and I had a lot of young women come to me in my organization. I was working for a big multinational, and people wanted to know, you know, how do you do it? How are you able to travel a ladder? How do you cope and manage your family, the travel? People, a lot of, I had a lot of young women coming to me, and after a while, I think I had a select group I was really mentoring within the organization informally and after a while it was a bit difficult to manage that with my very hectic travel schedule and my lifestyle my my family so I decided to put them in a group and I told them you know what I'll do I'll show you how I do it so that you you see what I do and you can also pick up some of those habits and one of the habits I I really used a lot was the fact that when I saw interesting people like Craig I just wanted to have coffee with them. I was curious. I wanted to know how did they get to where they were? What were their challenges? What were the best things? You know, What have they learned from life? What could they do better? What do they aspire to be? Because it just being curious, curious. You're, you're understanding from other people their journey, and you're also learning their experience because you don't have to experience everything and make the same mistake. You can learn from others. I did that a lot, and that's how I learned a lot from different people. And I started teaching these ladies to do the same. So I would invite interesting people to the sessions, and they would just talk on different leadership topics. And they'll really be practical. And i would ask the ladies, ask as you know, be very you know, ask as many questions as you want, but make sure that you don't shy away from asking the questions, so that you get good value from these sessions. And after running it for a while, it was a time. I, there was a time I was leaving the company. I got, a better, I got a better job somewhere else and I wanted to leave. But by, by that time, these sessions had grown so big. So I used to have sessions where we have about over 300 people dialed into these video sessions from wow. different parts of the world because it was a multinational. People were dialing from Sweden and Dubai and Kenya and Malaysians. You know, and It was huge. They were dialing from boardrooms. You know, They're all clustered together in a boardroom. So, I wanted to leave and I didn't know what to do with it. So, I decided to hand it over to HR. But you know, I used to get these ladies tell me, you no, know, no, no, we really want to have this session. And I tried my best, and I'm, I'm going on a long leave. I won't be around for a while. You know, after a while, I had to come clean and tell them, I'm leaving the company. And I'm sorry, I can't continue. But I've told the HR and I'm hoping they can look for a good framework to run it. And most of them came back with the feedback no, we want you to run it. Wherever you do, we will show up. Take it to social media, whatever, external. And that's how the idea came to FACT Women and Career. So I took it externally and we opened it up. And since then, we've done much more than just those sessions. We've done a lot of mentoring. We do a lot of mentoring for young girls, undergraduates, girls in STEM. We do mentoring as well. We connect women to coaches. Doing sessions for all kinds of sectors as well. We support some young girls in different kinds of ways, and we make sure we get that information as relevant to helping them grow their careers and you know pair them up with people that will also assist them. It's been really fulfilling doing it. You know, initially I thought it would be overwhelming because I was like, I already have a nine to five job. I don't want another job. But I found fulfillment doing it because I, when I see the feedback from those women. And most of them have been clueless for a long time. They wanted to grow their careers or they were thinking of starting one, but they have been challenged by either the environment or culture or just the, the, just the mental, just been overwhelmed with that aspect of how do I start and where do I start from? So knowing that they can find support with us has been, they've really appreciated it and I love that. I love just seeing the smiles on their faces. So.
1: Being able to, to give back is such a pillar of fulfillment. It's like uh, there's, a, there's a book and I'm, I'm losing the author in my brain right now, which I hate doing, but uh, it's, it's the power of meaning. And, it, and it, it establishes, the author, she establishes three pillars of meaning. And one of those pillars is being able to, to give back and, and basically serve others in some way. And you hear that time and time again is, you know, once people kind of get to a place where you're, you're more than just surviving, then it's like, okay, well, how do I help exactly. others do the same thing? And that's, that can be such a huge source of fulfillment in people's lives. Um, I, I think it's interesting, too, that you mentioned that you were kind of so busy and you were like questioning whether or not, um, you know, that's something you wanted to commit time to. I
0: could do it.
1: Yeah. How do you um, manage like the... I mean, you clearly are doing so many different things at once You're, with the book and with that and with your, obviously your work is probably very intensive. Do you have any kind of techniques that you use to to be able to, to juggle all of those things effectively? Do you feel like you juggle those things effectively?
0: <laughs> I don't know about the, you know, effectively, okay, I yeah. try, you know, I tell people the illusion like, of a balance, yeah. The illusion of uh, people actually, how do you get, you know, how do you, how do you achieve work-life balance? I'm like that balance might be an illusion. But what has really worked for me is to prioritize. So I'm a big goal setter. So I love setting goals. So I'll put those, you know, each those different roles. I would like to set goals because it, it gives me something to look forward to or something to try to aspire walk towards. But one of the big things that really helped me in maneuvering all those various roles of function is just prioritization. I decide what is priority, and I try to keep my eyes on the ball. Because I think if you made it priority, it means that you can pay attention to it. It doesn't mean that it wouldn't slip. It doesn't mean that sometimes I don't miss the map. But because it is priority, I would always go back to it. So I, I give an example in my book as well. So I have defined you know, my spirituality, my career, my family life as priority. It means that I'm willing to trade some other things to keep those ones in the places I want to see them, to keep them aligned in the goals we've set. I'm willing to trade some other things off just to make sure those remain priority. But it doesn't mean that they're always getting the attention they need, but I would always strive to give it to them. Now, one of the, 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 the examples I give in my book is that there was a time in my career I was traveling a lot because of the job I had at that time. And my daughter was young. She was about three years or four years old. And I, I started to realize that we were kind of growing apart. So I had a nanny. And I noticed my, dad, my daughter was getting closer and closer to the nanny. I was kind of jealous. Now <laughs> come back from the trip. And she's like, hi, mom. And she heads up with the nanny. Then even at night, you know, I put her to bed. I read her bedtime story. We say a prayer together that I go to my room, and I would notice after about 30 minutes, she starts running, running, running down the hallway to the end of the apartment to the nanny's room. And her room was more comfortable. My room was next to hers. But she still chooses to go to the nanny. So it became a big issue for me because that's the priority. Family for me was priority. But I I couldn't figure it out. But because it was priority, I was looking for answers. And I was having a conversation with a senior, more like a senior colleague, she is a lady, but she was quite senior and I was you know, explaining the challenges. And at that point, I'd made up my mind to lay off the nanny. I thought that was a solution that I need to get a new nanny. Uh, but I, when I had that conversation with the lady, she laughed and she's like, no, 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 no. That, you just keep laying off nannies. Trying to change the nanny wouldn't solve the problem. Why don't you focus on building the relationship with your daughter? Give it everything you've got, just the way you treat a business deal or time. And that's what I did. I started looking for ways to reconnect. Should I make her hair? Even though when I come back from work, and tired. Do you want to play? I play with her. I take her to the movies on weekends because weekends I like to like catch a nap, rest, or do something more fun. But I was spending time with her. I would show up to the movies with her. I would take her for the ballet class. Even though half halfway during the ballet, I'm like sleeping. You know, <laughs> but I, just, I just wanted to make sure she understood that she was important. And I think the, uh, the biggest uh, acknowledgement I got for that, you know, focus on doing that was I think about nine months later. There was a night I was just lying on my bed. You know, normally I put her to bed, and she woke up, and I suspect she had a nightmare. She quickly ran to my room and just slid into the blanket. And she clung to me. that was priceless. I couldn't have asked for more, because I kept telling myself she chose me, because normally she would have gone to the nanny, mm-hmm. but she chose me. So yeah, so priority, you know you, you just have to pay attention to the things that are important and start to decide, you know if you, if you think they're sleeping, you start to decide how you can walk it back to where it should be.
1: That's what has helped me. That's great. That's a nice story too to illustrate that uh, in a in a concrete way. Priorities thing is huge for anyone who had anyone at any level of their career. Whether you're like at McDonald's flipping burgers and you're tired when you come home and mm-hmm. and need to have prior prioritize like taking, um, you know, uh, giving your child attention versus playing video games or whatever. Like I don't know. There's so many different examples. People live such diverse lives, but. I think that's one of those things, again, that, you know, we all have the possibility of doing more things than we can possibly actually give all of our attention to. So it's important to decide what are those things in your life that are kind of the pillars of your own meaning in life.
0: Very true, Craig.
1: Did you come up with those? um, Like, was that easy for you to identify those pillars? those those priorities, or was that something that you had to consciously sit down and say like, what is important in my life?
0: Oh, I actually had to really think through it, you know, and I think as you evolve, you you start to, it gets clearer. I remember there was a time for like a whole year, I kept asking myself, what's my purpose? You know, I want to know what the purpose is, why am I on this planet? What do I have to achieve? But um, it started with making personal mission statements. You know, when you have to go to college, they ask you to make a personal mission statement. And basically, you're looking for what is core to you, what is important, what are those parts in your life that are really important. And when I define what they are, they also evolve. Like when I was single, I had some core now. They're not aspiratory, you know, like some relationships are not as important. But when I wasn't married, it was a relationship with my close spouse that was more, those are the relationships I really invested in. Now I invest in my family, my husband and my kids. So I think as you, you grow and evolve, those would change slightly but some of the core will still remain the same. And that's how I figured it. So it was from making personal mission statements to making vision statement and mission statement. And I started to narrow it down to, you know, these are the things that are really important to me. So like I said, I'm a big goal setter and I will set goals on everything, on my finances, my social life. You know, i will literally set goals <laughs> on personal leadership on my career, you know. But what was beginning to happen as I got older was I was discovering that some of them are the really important ones to me and I could ignore a lot of the others. Not that I wouldn't set goals on them, but some are really key. Because once I missed them, I was really affected. I would feel, that's when bigger anxiety creeps in. And most times I probably wouldn't even feel fulfilled. You know, you you can imagine if you feel like you could have done more for your family and you're not pulling your weight. You, You tend to see that, you know, mentally that starts becoming an issue. It can, guilt starts to creep in. You probably have to start to feel inefficient. You, know, you start to realize that it's a big thing for you. So if it's a big thing for you, then you should focus on it. You should, you should give it some attention. So, and I think that's how I realized that, oh, these three are the really important ones to me. Because to somebody else, maybe career is not a big thing to them. And yeah. It's good to own it. You know, Own it because everyone is different. For me, it is. You know, I wouldn't take it out of my list. Sure. Because I find fulfillment as a woman growing a career. but Maybe to some other woman, that is not, that's not a big thing for them.
1: I think that's important to, to so, mention. That's
0: why you really have to, I believe a lot in personal leadership. You to spend time with yourself to right. understand what is, what is important to you as a person.
1: I think that was an important note that, you know, like a lot of the people we talked to on this show, and I feel like people probably see in the media and everything are, are very career driven because that's kind of just how you end up getting out there a lot of times in one way or another, because you have some kind of success in some career aspect, whether it's as a writer or in in your actual, like in business or artists and stuff are kind of the things that we always like see in front of us. And I know people personally that have come to me for advice that are not interested in in a career at all. And that's hard for me to understand. Yeah. It took me a long time to not give them the advice of like you have to find something to make your career and make like your passion but being like it's okay if you just have a job that sustains you and then you can focus on your family and your spirituality and your reading or whatever it is that you care about that that doesn't have to be a career for people like us it's it's like i think a, a pretty big part of our lives but it's also you know to me it's kind of it's fun, like building a career, building businesses. That's fun to work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I find it fun too, because I, I love the challenge. I, I love yeah. being challenged in that environment and walking towards those challenges and trying to supersede them and, and, you know, achieve, you know, big audacious goals. So like you said, everyone is different. So just find out more about yourself. What really gives you fulfillment?
1: Okay, one last question before we tie things up. Um, you mentioned that you know you set goals for like everything, uh, and I'm a similar thing. I like to write things down so I can see am I going in the right direction? Did I, you know, did I do everything I could do to to to, to reach that specific goal? But also, I have a lot of experience with not reaching goals because I set so many of them. It's kind of unrealistic to reach them all the time. Um, what is how do you deal with that? How do you if you're someone that's so attached to or uses goals to motivate you so much? What is your process for kind of how do you deal with not reaching a goal and then how do you reassess and decide whether that goal just needs changed or dropped or what to do uh, when something doesn't necessarily work out in the time frame that you were aiming for?
0: The good thing about setting goals is that because I document my, so I can check my goals all the way back until I was a student, you know, I write them at the back of my diary, then I evolve to writing them in journals. And then there was a time I put them in Excel sheet. <laughs> but yeah, just like you said, initially I was really hard on myself because you know, I was really just so focused, driven by the goals that you know, I wanted to achieve them to the letter at the time set. And those things would actually make me anxious. Yeah, Because I keep checking, oh, I'm seven years off track achieving this goal. I'm two years off track, I should have achieved this goal by now. And I would really beat myself up for that. But I also learned And I think I learned that, actually, I was already married by then, that, you know, as you evolve as well, your goals tend to evolve alongside you. First of all, I realized as a person, because I love to challenge myself, sometimes I was setting very unrealistic timelines for myself. I was very good at that. And that would put a lot of pressure. You know, I want to do something that somebody would do in five years. I want to do it in two years. And I didn't have the tools or the resources. To do that, so I, I, I for that I actually worked with a mentor, and currently, what I do, I work with a coach, and sometimes they just help you put things in perspective. So that's how I manage my tendency to always want to push myself into overdrive. I try to run it by this kind of accountability pattern, and they'd be like, think You think you're gonna be a CEO in two years? You know, have you done this, this, and this? You know, have you really considered this? Maybe consider you know, acquiring all the skills before. You you set that timeline for yourself. So so that kind of helped put things in perspective. But I think managing the the aspect is as I grew older, I realized that um, the goals could also change. What was important was um, not necessarily the goals because then I saw the goals as a tool to achieve the bigger picture, which is the vision. Because I had a lot of experiences where I had to change the goal. Big struggle because I was fixed on the goal and not the vision. And, and I realized that the goal is a tool, and there are many tools you can use. You, know, you don't have to go this way. You could go this way. What if you ask yourself, ultimately, what am I trying to achieve here? And one of, the, one of those scenarios was um, working. So I I wanted I was trying to get to a certain, you know, being a career executive and all that. But I was a techie, you know. I, was a, I studied engineering. So I'm a tech person. So I'd mapped out my career plan, the way I saw it going in the tech world to get to that goal. And I just stumbled on some phase in my life where someone thought, oh, for your skill set, we think we'll need you here. They wanted me to do sales. And I'm like, no way. That's not in my career trajectory. This is my plan. I'm going to do this, 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 this. I had it all mapped out. And it was a huge struggle. Like literally everyone was trying to talk to me the hey child, my mentor. Everybody was trying to get me to think outside the box. But I think what caught it for me was one. Uh, my mentor was asking me, what do you ultimately want? What are you trying to achieve? And I said, oh, this is what I'm trying to achieve. And he told me there's so many ways to achieve that. Why do you think this is the only way to achieve it? Especially if you've got skill set that allows you to use it several ways. Why don't you try this? It didn't come so natural because I'm used to sticking to the letter. But I think after that experience, I have learned... To be flexible, that's the better way of putting it, and to realize that the goals themselves are not the end. They are a means to achieve the end. So don't be too fixated in the goal. So one way I have managed that is to do like a review. You know, when you do like a quarterly or annual review, because when I do that review is when I reassess and tell myself, okay, the way this goal is looking like, maybe it's time to change it. Maybe I shouldn't be looking at this. Maybe this is... Is where because this is what we're trying to achieve. And it's forced me to always look at the bigger picture. So you always have your access to the why. Why did I set this goal? What was I trying to achieve? Let the why be the driver, not the goal itself.
1: You mentioned something. You, you mentioned it a lot in, in basically everything that you've talked about is your mentors at different points. And obviously now you're mentoring you know, women and helping connect them with mentors. What is kind of as some parting? uh uh, you know insight how do you think it's good to identify mentors and find them
0: so the very ways to find find mentors so there's no like uh, sometimes it's formal like sometimes organizations will assign you a mentor like a, pa- a particular career trajectory or they will create mentoring programs to support people at various levels and sometimes it's informal and i've had a lot of informal mentors so where it wasn't I didn't just wake up and say, hey, I want to be your mentor or, hey, can you be my mentor? It's literally um, I was attracted because of what I felt someone could offer. And there's always this connection. You see something in them that you admire, you, you want to achieve. You want to be like, I think that's a good way to start. And the second way is to reach out to them. And most times I don't reach out to them and say, hey, be my mentor. I reach out to them about, you know, I want to talk about this. Can we have coffee? I like this. I'm curious about this. I'd like to learn this from you. I think that's an, e- that's an easier way to, to start to build a relationship. And as you start to build a relationship, you notice that you can actually attribute formal aspects to time or oh, I want to check back in and a quarter. Can I block some time in your calendar? So I will talk to you about this goals We just chatted about, and I could let you know how I'm doing with it. You know, so I've really done them informally. I have really not done, I think I barely have, a, I've not really done a formal mentoring. It's just been a formal, informal tool for me. What I've done formally is to literally have a coach. So what I, re- what I also realized that as I grew up, accessing the mentors I would love wasn't that easy because at a certain level, the kind of people you're aspiring or you're wanting to connect are not easily accessible to you. They're not in your location. They're somewhere because they're very busy trying to get time slots. So you might not get the frequency of the audience you want. You know, as a younger Jane, I could get them every month or every quarter. Now, probably I see them once a year when we are both in the sentiment. (laughs) I have to fly to Canada. And when I get to Canada, I'll come and see you over the summer. So what I did was then use a lot of coaching. So I got a coach. I attended a training, a leadership program in Harvard, and I, and I, I met some coaches there, and I actually retained one of those coaches. And this coaching has really helped as well because coaching is more formal. You pay for the service, but they're always there. So my coaches, an hour every month, we sit down and we go through those things with our greater. So that has also helped. That is more formal, uh, but the coaches don't necessarily have the experience. You know, right. They haven't walked that path, but they have tools to help you. Because sometimes what they're literally helping you is how to manage your options, how to go through a decision-making process, or how to understand more about yourself, self-management. You know your strengths, your weaknesses, so you can decide what your opportunities are, what your threats are. So that's another tool I've used as well as coaching.
1: Great! Thank you so much for sharing all of that, sharing all of your insight throughout this interview. Uh, I think that you know there's so much useful stuff here. And if you want to pick up Jane's book, it is called Be Fearless. Of course, that will be down in the show notes below. Is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with before we sign off?
0: I I just want to say, you know, it's an interesting time right now. But like I always tell people, my book says be fearless. And for me, being fearless is not to say there's no fear or there's an absence of fear. All I'm saying is that even in the midst of fear, what are you going to do? I think you should act. You should take a step. That's being courageous. Show up. Just act. Do something. Don't feel you know powerless or you know just feel like you're not in control and you can't do anything. Look, all those little things you can do. And for me, that is being fearless. Just be courageous to act even in the midst of the fear.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank Absolutely. you,
0: Craig. Check
1: out uh, the links in the show note below. There's all kinds of good stuff there that I will find <laughs> and link to. And Thank you so much for your time and your, your wisdom uh, and sharing that with us today.
0: Thank you for your amazing work, Craig. Thank you for having me.